0: Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Welcome back to Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. I'm Ryan Daly. I hope you've had a good summer, a good month of July anyway. By now, you probably know that this podcast is going monthly for the foreseeable future. My other shows are keeping me plenty busy, but since DC is actually publishing a Black Canary series for the first time in two decades, the least I can do is stay current with my reviews. Well, sort of current. Black Canary Issue 2 came out about two weeks ago. I would like to start getting my reviews out within a week of the issue's release, while it still may be fresh in people's minds and on the new release shelves. Hopefully my review of issue three will be a little bit more immediate once that book comes out. But anyway, that's all the preamble I have, so let's get into the latest issue. She moves like she don't care, smooth as silk, cool as air. Black Canary Issue 2 is written by Brendan Fletcher, with art by Annie Wu, colors by Lee Lawfridge, and letters by Steve Wands. Annie Wu drew the main cover, Babs Tarr drew a variant cover. The book was edited by Dave Wildgoss, Chris Conroy, and Mark Doyle, and hit shelves on July 15, 2015. The story, titled On Sight, begins with Black Canary doing target practice. That's Black Canary the band, not just Dinah. Their touring bus is pulled over by a run down gas station in the middle of the desert. Dinah set up a makeshift shooting range and trains her bandmates how to defend themselves and Ditto from threats like the tar monsters that attacked last issue. Dinah leaves Paloma Terrific and the others to shoot while she tries to get some answers out of Ditto. She tries to get her young guitarist to open up by revealing some of her own backstory, like how she was married and her husband taught her to shoot. Ditto remains mute, but as she picks away at a guitar, we get another glimpse of her power, the mysterious sound and light that emerges from her music. Dinah is pulled away from the light show by the screams of her band manager, Heathcliff, who tells her they're being watched. Heathcliff and the drummer, Lord Byron, tell Dinah they saw some kind of shimmer in the air, but maybe it was a mirage. Dina scans the horizon, and we, the readers, discover that Black Canary is being watched by some masked techno-goons in a, a sort of hover ship with invisible stealth technology. Dinah doesn't see it exactly, but she trusts her instincts and tells her friends to get back on the bus. Just before they leave, she notices the target pinups have been shot with expert marksmanship. It turns out Paloma Terrific is a terrific shot. Eh? We cut to a double-page collage of photographs and excerpts from the Burnside Tofu, which is a music fanzine that's been chronicling Black Canary's Rocky Road Trip. Rocky Road trip. Hmm, now I want ice cream. Anyway, the Tofu article reveals that the band is back to performing, but there is a lot of tension between the members. That was made pretty clear already, I think. At the band's next stop at a different rundown gas station in the desert, Dinah dyes her hair while Lord Byron and Paloma practice their hand-to-hand combat skills and talk about their instruments. Musical instruments, that not a euphemism. They're interrupted by the sounds of someone playing or bumping into the keyboards on the bus. Here is where we meet Beau Maeve, the original lead singer of Byron and Paloma's group, who was kicked out of the band and replaced with Dinah. She acts a little pissy and snobbish until Dinah comes out of the bathroom with her newly re-blonded hair. Maeve clearly isn't big on confrontation she can't control, so she runs away. Dinah says she recognizes Maeve. She's been at their latest couple of gigs, watching the show. Paloma thinks Maeve was treated and fired unfairly, and this leads to another fight between the bandmates. Dinah says once their tour is over, she'll quit the band and they can go back to their separate lives. In town, Dinah and Ditto go into a music store. Ditto takes hold of Dinah while she strums a guitar with her free hand. Dinah is amazed at the sensation. It feels like the chords are resonating at the same harmonic frequency as her vocal chords. Ditto strums the strings again, and Dinah begins to hum. From her voice comes that mesmerizing light again, which blankets the music store in color. That color also reveals one of the techno ninja guys who has been invisible up to this point. Dinah and the ninja fight. She beats him with some flutes or clarinets. Then she kicks him through the second story window. She drops down on the street next to the ninja's unconscious body and takes his mask off. Then she tells the other ladies they need to run immediately. They're in greater danger than she thought, Dinah tells them, because the ninja guy is her husband, Kurt. And that ends Black Canary issue two. I'm going to take a quick promotional break and be right back with my thoughts on this comic. Welcome to Astro City, a Pulp to Pixel podcast. An issue-by-issue ratings and review of the The creator owned comic book series Astro City by the writer-artist team of Kurt Fusick, Brent Anderson, and Alex Ross. You can find episodes of Welcome to Astro City... And other Pulp to Pixel podcasts at pulp to pulp to through the iTunes store under the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, and through Facebook at the Pulp to Pixel podcast webpage. The first thing I thought when I read this issue was that it went by really quickly. The issue felt short. Then I counted the pages and realized, damn. It is short. There are only 16 story pages in this comic. At least, that's how it is in the digital version from Comicsology. It's possible something got left out, but I don't think so, because the flow isn't ever really interrupted. There are two additional pages at the back, which is another Burnside Tofu special. It's essentially a primer on who the band members are, why they're together, why they're always fighting. Basically everything you need to know to understand these characters if you didn't pick up issue one. Even if you did count these, that's only 18 pages of Black Canary content in this Black Canary comic. I'm not happy about that, because those are basically recap pages, that if you were going to put them anywhere, they should go in the front of the issue. And looking at the 16 story pages, the first one is a splash title page with no dialogue, and then there's the double-page montage of the tour with the tofu write-up that doesn't provide any new information, and there's a lot of blank space, so the art doesn't really grab you on those pages. So, I'm coming away from this comic only having to read 13 pages to get the story, and yet paying full price. For a digital copy, even. That put me in a negative headspace, which is a shame because the story that is in this issue is good. Just about everything that's here I like, so I'm going to try to stay positive with this review. Right off the bat, I like that Dinah is teaching her bandmates how to fight. Dinah has always been a pragmatist. Even though she's not a small business owner in the new continuity, it's nice to know that she still has that rational maturity to her. Can she defend them all if they get attacked by monsters at the next show? Yeah, probably. But it wouldn't hurt if they could watch their own backs a little. This probably stems from the fact that she's been on teams for so many years. We get some fun bits of characterization in this opening scene. Paloma wants nothing to do with guns or violence, but appears to be naturally gifted at shooting. Is this a fluke, or is there something more to it? Has she fired guns before, and if so, why and at whom? It also looks like Heathcliff is the tackling dummy for a lot of Dinah's combat instruction, which is funny. We later see that Dinah dyes her own hair. This is a apparently a big deal because the others are more impressed by this feat than when she fought the tar monster's last issue. I think the humor of the scene is lost on me. I mean, yes, sure, I get that most people get their hair colored professionally, and I will confess that the one time I tried to cut my own hair, I realized too late that there's a reason why I pay somebody else to do that for me. So yeah, dyeing her own hair, I get that's neat, but it's not like giving herself stitches or cauterizing a wound. Maybe I'm the wrong audience for this scene. After that is when we meet Beau Maeve. Now, every girl named Maeve that I've ever known was psychotic. Which is to say, the one girl named Maeve that I knew was psycho. But that makes me instantly distrust this ex-lead singer. Why is she stalking the band? What has she been doing on the bus? And why did she rabbit when Dinah snarled at her? I hope Brendan Fletcher has something really interesting intended for her, because there was no reason for her scene in this issue other than to start yet another fight between Dinah and Paloma. The fight between Dinah and the ninja, who turns out to be her husband, Kurt, was really well done. The action is fast-paced and clever. I love that she uses the woodwind instruments like nightsticks. Um, There's kind of a Big detail in the fight that I didn't mention during my recap. Kurt throws something around Dinah's neck. She calls it a vocal inhibitor, so she can't use her canary cry. It's like a little bolo tie or steel wire noose that goes around her neck and fastens tight so she can't vocalize. Dinah ends up ripping it off pretty easily, but this beat disturbed me a lot. It reminded me of the movie The Counselor, with Michael Fassbender and Javier Bardem. In the movie, somebody uses a motorized version of this trap with razor wire to behead one of the characters. It is a slow, excruciating death scene in a movie that is already slow and excruciating. So yeah, the detail in this comic disturbed me because it reminded me of that god-awful movie. The final reveal of Dinah's ex, or late, or whatever the status of Kurt is, I... I found it underwhelming because I don't give a crap about the character. They failed to make him interesting in all of the Team 7 books. Every time Dinah talked about his death in Birds of Prey, I wanted to throw the issue away, and I gave up on that book before I learned if he was alive or what was going on, so I don't even know if I believe this is her husband, Kurt, or not. It could be a shapeshifter, it could be a clone, a robot, a tar monster that can resemble him. I don't know. I would have preferred Brendan Fletcher ignore everything about the new Fifty Two Canary, but clearly he's picking up on some of those threads. I have enjoyed the first two issues, so I'll trust him to do something cool with Kurt and Dinah's relationship going forward. As for the art, I'm still really digging it. If you like this art style, and I do on this series, I think it's right for the tone and the style of this book. I think it just keeps getting better. For uh, I think it just keeps getting better from the preview to the first issue to this one. It's great. Annie Wu does this neat little figure diagram of Dinah demonstrating takedowns on Heathcliff. She breaks it up into four figure silhouettes that gets the point across. It's really cute, but then the really nice touch is that she brings this four figure effect back during the fight in the music store. Great touch. In the beginning, when they're being watched by the invisible hover jet, I love how the invisibility effect is used. It's not line work like an uncolored outline. Instead, it's a subtle stipple effect of dots that make the shape obvious to us. I don't know if that's Annie Wu providing the effect, or if that came from Lee Lofridge, the colorist, but it's great. All of the colors in this book are great. The art team, the lettering, everyone was on their game, and it's great to see. I just wish that there had been four more pages of story in the book, at least. I'm still a little ticked off about that. But overall, I did enjoy what was there, and I'm looking forward to issue three. And that is all for this episode of Flowers and Fishnets. If you enjoyed the show, you can leave a comment on the blogger page, blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. There you can contact me with any questions or comments. You can also find me on Facebook and on Twitter using the handle at blackcanaryfan or at ryandaily01, or you can search the username CountDrupula. Flowers and Fishnets is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed on the show are mine alone. All music, audio, clips, and quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening.